0: This episode is brought to you by Rune. Rune 1.8 is an immersive new music experience featuring a new look, new intelligence, and new features designed for music fanatics. Click the link in the description box below for more information.
1: Here we are again, another episode of the Darko Audio podcast, but this time, something a little bit different. So once again, we welcome Strajan eBayan from Six Moons. Welcome, Srijan Thank you, John. Um, today, we're going to be doing a review in podcast format, right? What's that? Well, a review of something. You're going to be talking about a certain product. You're going to be assessing it. I'm going to be quizzing you on your assessment or... On the technical details or the nitty gritty. And I think we, I don't know whether we're going to be the, the world first. I hate people who kind of announce the world first on things, but not many people are doing hi fi reviews in podcast format. So I thought we'd give it a shot and you were on board. So
2: here we are. Sounds good. Except when you said you'd be quizzing me, that sounded like a test. The last test I failed goes from 25 <laughs> years back. So I'm worried now. Well, yeah, <laughs> you, 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 you take it away, Sujana, and then I'll chip in okay. as needed. Here we go. So the way I want to start is ask a question. Mm-hmm. How do we know what's on our recordings? Okay, so say, say I went to like an old-style uh, farmer's market, right? And I walk mm-hmm. over to the cheese girl, and I point out the cheese I'm interested in. And she reaches over with this huge knife of hers and she has a little bit of cheese on the tip and hands it to me and I try it out. Mm -hmm. I taste it, I smell it, I swallow it. I know whether I like it or not. The same is true if I walk over to the cellar of the strawberries. Mm -hmm. There is no intermediate unpacking required, right? My taste, my sight, my smell, it all immediately gives me the feedback I need to decide what I'm dealing with. Now, let's say our old-timey market also has a CD seller. And there's a gent over there in the corner selling used CDs. And I walk over to one and I point at it. He gives it to me and I look at the, uh, at the cover art. I might even pull it out and, you know, read the liner notes. Mm-hmm. But I have no idea what's on that CD. Now, let's say this gent went an extra step and he brought a boombox. Mm-hmm and he's nice enough to say, oh, I'll pop it in for you, and he hits play, and I hear something. But even the most beginner of hi-fi buyers would know that what comes out of that boombox is... Unreliable. A bare representation of what's Mm -hmm. probably really on there. Right. So in hi-fi, we deal with that whatever is on our recording must be unpacked by equipment. And without Mm -hmm. going into details, we can say that whatever equipment we're using has a fingerprint. Mm -hmm. And we add the fingerprints of our cables and of our setup and our speakers and our integrated and our source. Mm -hmm. And what we hear is an interpretation. Mm -hmm. Now, if we have been at this long enough, let's say like me for 20 years, and we use recordings that we use back when still today, and we've now heard that same recording in literally a hundred of different circumstances, we can come to a pretty close approximation of what's on our CD, because we've heard it under so many different circumstances that we have an idea, but we still can't be entirely sure. Mm -hmm. So that's how I want to start out today. How do we know what's on our recordings? So, Mm -hmm. the best way that I know is to use headphones. Now, why is that? Okay, because it removes the room? Correct. Number one, we remove the room.
0: Mm.
2: Number two, most of the time, we only deal with one driver. So there's no crossover. There is not multiple drivers supposed to act as one, Mm -hmm. but they are splitting the frequency band with a filter, and our ears are somehow to believe that that filter isn't there and that we don't have two or three or four or five drivers, sometimes even of different materials with different dispersion characteristics, all act as though they were one. Mm -hmm. Most, not all, but most headphones only use one driver, no crossover. Being simpler, there is less room to screw things up than if you had two or three or four drivers in a loudspeaker. It becomes more challenging to achieve the same sort of purity. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it's not possible, it's just more difficult. The next Mm -hmm. thing is that our loudspeaker driver is really, really close to our ears, Mm -hmm. within centimeters or inches if we're in the colonies. (laughs) So now we don't suffer any distance losses. And also, the ear cups will either entirely, if they're sealed, or mostly, if they open, shield us from ambient noise. Mm-hmm. So we will hear more easily, more deeply into the fine detail of our recordings. And we don't need to listen as loud to do so because the standing noise that close to our ears is really, really low.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the important thing that we said before, and the room. We don't really suffer the room even though especially sealed ear cups are sort of miniature style rooms hanging off our ears and they include reflections inside etc but what's the big problem with the room if you use loudspeakers the big problem is that that especially the low frequencies usually below about 200 hertz they start to disperse omnidirectional mm-hmm. so they reflect off all of our boundaries which means obviously four walls plus the ceiling, plus the floor, and whatever sort of hard furnishings we have inside the room. And Mm -hmm. each of those reflections takes a different amount of time before it sort of snookers around the room and then hits our ears. So we get the direct sound first, and then we get delayed sound that doesn't all arrive at once, but sort of scattered across time. Mm -hmm. And that creates what I would call time confusion. It creates a small blurring. But that's not necessarily true as we ascend in frequency, because as we go up to a thousand Hertz or 10,000 Hertz, the dispersion of our speaker becomes more and more narrow. So Mm -hmm. it suffers less and less room involvement. Mm -hmm. Now, what our speaker does to the bass is not what's on the recording. That's what our room does. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: each room is different and no speaker designer knows what room his or her speaker is going to end up in. Mm-hmm. And besides this problem with the time delay, especially in the base, we have what's called room modes. And they are sort of relative to the distance between sidewall to sidewall, front to back wall, ceiling to floor and diagonal corners. Those distances and how they relate to wavelengths create reinforcement in certain frequencies and suck outs in others. Mm -hmm. And that's what we would call sort of a completely arbitrary EQ in the frequency domain on what's actually on the recording. Yes. Since speakers don't... Since loud... um, Excuse me. Since headphones don't suffer that room issue, they don't suffer that particular issue in the base where the time delay is concerned. They don't really suffer that same issue in the bass where sort of standing waves and room modes are concerned, which could be boom, which could be certain areas of suck out. Mm. And so we get closer with headphones to sort of knowing what's on our recording and what the recorded um, tonal balance actually should be. How much bass is there actually and how loud is it vis-a-vis the mid-range and the treble?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: how much low-frequency detail, I mean, low-amplitude detail is there? Mm. Tiny, tiny things, like a guy in the background using a brush on his cymbal, and he's sort of just swirling the brush like somebody else is sort of taking a spoon, you know, in, in a glass to, to stir some sugar in, in coffee. You, you barely hear it. Mm-hmm. But on the headphones, if it's there, you will hear it. On speakers, it, that may disappear. Depending upon the room and the speakers. It, correct. Can I ask so, you a question?
1: Can I ask you, can please, I interrupt with a question? Please. So would you, would you therefore say that headphones are a, all other things being equal, are a, a better tool, a better analytical tool for sort of looking further into the recording?
2: Absolutely. Now, I would also say that one can, of course, buy headphones that are deliberately basic. That are deliberately tuned to sort of be fun and be boisterous in the bass and do really, really well with, for example, electronic music that has a Mm. lot of club beats that are supposed to be pounding and fat. So that headphone, that headphone would sort of introduce its own kind of distortion that the designer deliberately tailored into it and that he can be assured will translate to all the buyers because except for their differences in you know ear shape and the length of the ear canal and all of that mm. they are all using the same room which is his own ear cup and however he designed it that is no longer a variable so whatever tuning he built in will translate and so i would for example call my Final D8000, I believe that you have the newer Mark II version. I would call them on the Basie side. I would definitely... I would as well, yes, yes. I would definitely call my ODs, LCD, what are they called? The XC for closed. Yep. You know, the closed-back ODs headphones. I would definitely call those Basie. Now, I would not call Basie the Hi-Fi Man HE1000, or mm-hmm. the upscale version called Suspharo. I would mm-hmm. call those headphones voice to be very linear and very neutral. So you mm-hmm. might, one might even sort of cut out the word voice and just say that in my mind, for that kind of money, it's probably the closest one could get to hearing what really is on the recording. I would include a lot of electrostatic headphones, the, the good ones that are not lean in the bass, Uh, And I would definitely, on the top of my range, would mention the the RAL Requisite SR1A. Mm -hmm. And the reason why those are so special is that they are ribbons. And unlike a planar magnetic headphone, which usually has magnets on one side or on both sides of the driver, but they're in front of the driver, like uh, like a window shutter or Mm -hmm. like prison bars. So the driver looks through them, but part of the driver's output actually reflects off of those magnet bars. Mm -hmm. With a ribbon, the magnet attaches to the top and to the bottom of the the stretched diaphragm. So there is really literally nothing between that ultra thin, very, very light membrane and the ear. Now, where Mm -hmm. the RAL requisites go a step further is that they mount that ribbon into an open baffle. It's open on the front and it's open in the back. So Mm -hmm. there's nothing to reflect Anything back off of, and to go even further, they put those baffles on a hinge, so they splay away from your ear, like in the olden days, the AKG K1000. It looks a little wicked, but it it really creates the biggest possible sound stage or head stage that you can generate at such close proximity, and it doesn't suffer any sort of time delayed. Uh, Energy release, where certain parts of the the recorded sound get captured, reflected, and then arrive at the ear late. There's mm-hmm. none of that. So those headphones, to me, are sort of the ultimate in speed, mm-hmm. transparency, <coughs> linearity, uh, dynamics, and of course, having a ribbon within centimeters of your ears gives you a top end of extension and finesse that. I have not heard any other transducer in loudspeakers be able to duplicate. Right. And so now we get to today's review subject. Because if I ask you now that if that was my reference, if those RALs or an equivalent electrostatic headphone or a HiFi Mansus Fire was my reference for headphones, and I now wanted to hear a very similar kind of sound over loudspeakers, how would I go about it?
1: I would think you would have to be near-field listening. And, and you've already mentioned the one key element of headphones where they have an advantage in terms of purity, and that's that generally speaking, they are a single driver. Correct. So we're talking near-field, single driver,
2: and active. And, and even more than that, beyond mm. active, DSP, DSP. corrected, yeah. not only in the frequency domain, but also in the time phase domain, via so-called fear filters. Now we need to tell our audience what we are talking about. Mm. So what we're talking about today is a pair of compact, active loudspeakers that are made in Slovakia, by Mm -hmm. a company called D-MAX Audio. Mm -hmm. And the model is called the Supercubes, or in short, the SC Supercube 5. And the number 5 stands for the diameter of the single driver that's in each speaker. It's uh, an aluminum cone, 5-inch driver from the company SB Acoustics. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And uh, those drivers are designed in Denmark, and they are built in Indonesia. And they're popular and they're even used by brands like Wilson Audio. So obviously, you have a range of drivers from what they consider entry-level to what they consider flagship. But I looked up what a pair of those drivers would cost you uh, as a do-it-yourselfer from you know, a hi-fi supply store. And uh, mm-hmm. they would cost you 70 euros. Okay. Each? Each. Okay. Uh, hang on. I believe that was each, yes, 70 yeah. euros each. So that driver now mounts into a solid oak box that is size 20 cubic centimeters, 20 by 20 by 20. It's a perfect cube, mm-hmm. oak with Sapili edging. So sapeli is a hardwood. It's slightly darker than the oak. And every single edge is basically banded with like a round over Sapili. Looks really pretty that one driver in the front, and on the back is a single speak-on terminal. Mm -hmm. The speak-on is out of the pro world, and it's a twist lock type connector. So you could literally pick up that speaker on the speaker cable that comes included, three meters set, and you could swing it around your, your head like a lasso. And unless the cable would break, the speaker would not come off. Mm -hmm. And now, I remember, I told you that this was an active speaker. There's nothing inside the actual box. There's an outboard 50-watt Class D amplifier in a very, very simple casing. Mm -hmm. It's like one rack space, wide and tall, with rack ears. Again, we're talking, this is from the pro world. Mm -hmm. On the front, all you have is on the left, a rocker switch on-off. On the right, a tiny green LED for on-off. On the back, one pair of XLR-only inputs, no RCA. Then the set of speak-on outputs and the usual power inlet. And uh, the version that I have is uh, 230 volt. Mm-hmm. So if you want 115 volt if you live in America or you need 100 if you live in Japan, you would get a different amplifier. Inside that amplifier is a DA converter. I mean an AD converter, since we're going in analog, yes, and since there's DSP occurring inside, there has to be a conversion going on. Now, a lot of purist audio files will immediately pull the plug and say, that's, that's no good, that can't possibly work, because that unnecessary conversion will leave a fingerprint on the signal. To which I would answer that if indeed it does, that fingerprint is much, much fainter then what the DSP correction that the designer has built in improves. And the reason why I know that is that I have alternate competing active loudspeakers
0: mm-hmm.
2: from a Polish company called Fram Audio, F-R-A-M. And I believe that's, that's a Norwegian word, but I don't remember what the meaning is. Mm. They also use SB acoustic drivers. They use an all aluminum cabinet. They use built-in amplification. They use custom-designed in-house DSP. And they have a digital input. So mm. on paper, they should be superior. In practice, for the qualities that I will talk about, they are not. In practice, this pair of D-Max Supercubes is the closest I have heard loudspeakers come to my Royal Ribbon headphones.
1: Any loudspeaker. Or just desktop loudspeakers?
2: Any loudspeaker.
1: Wow, okay.
2: Because in the room, the room becomes the elephant. And even if you tame it as good as you can, you're still sitting three meters away. You have more equipment in front than I have now, so there's more fingerprints going on.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And... Unless you do something really special, which we won't go into today, you still have the timing issues, especially in the bass, where mm. the bass textures cannot be the same as the mid and the treble, because all of those reflections arrive at your ears staggered in time behind the direct sound.
1: I now, love the word you, you, had, you used before, the word you used before, snookering around the room. I thought it was yeah. a great, great expression to explain what, what those sort of reflections do.
2: It's like a billiard table, but in 3D. Yeah. So, because we are now dealing with what's practically a widebander, a single driver covering the entire frequency spectrum, Mm -hmm. which is DSP corrected in the outboard amplifier, we're dealing with a driver that becomes very beaming or directional in the treble. Mm -hmm. Because relative to the short wavelengths and the treble, the driver is really big. So it acts like a flashlight. So in order for this speaker to sound the way it's supposed to, that driver has to aim directly at your ears. And I mean mm-hmm. like, uh, <clears throat> like a pistol. You <laughs> aim it directly at what you mean to hit. In mm-hmm. this case, your pink bits, your ears.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: since we're dealing with a 20 cubic centimeter little box sitting on a desktop, If you just sit them on the top of your desk, they'll probably fire in your sternum or below. Mm -hmm. They'll fire too low, which means that either you have to raise them up or you have to tilt them up. And you also still have to toe them in sharply. You toe them Mm -hmm. in so sharply that you see no sidewalls at all. And you should also, if you have tilted them up, you shouldn't see any of the top plate unless you really crane your neck. Mm-hmm. And now you know that those drivers aim directly at your ear. That's what they're made for. They're made for the extreme near field in which they deliver up to apparently 90 dB peak levels, which mm-hmm. would be way too large for me. And they're good to 50 hertz in the base. They're sealed, they're mm-hmm. not ported. So they roll off slower than a ported design, but they don't have that extra boost that the ported design will give. So they're good to 50 hertz and then they start to sort of fall off. Mm-hmm. So the bottom octave, for most intents and purposes, is missing. And the uppermost, finest treble compared to my Royal Ribbons is, is also not the same. Mm. But what makes these so special is that the designer's name is Andrew Startsett.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, he is a recording engineer who has for many, many years actually owned a recording studio called AV Music. And he has designed a lot of recording-related software programs. And then he wrote the algorithm at the heart of the supercubes. Mm-hmm. What he has done basically is create uh, what he calls a control monitor. And when I first tried to review it, he basically turned me down because he said that about 50% of my music will be unlistenable. And these speakers weren't really made to listen to music to. They were made as control monitors for professionals. And so me coming from an audiophile publication, his assumption was that I would want things that he knew perfectly well the speaker would not deliver. Hmm. Eventually, so then I wrote him what ended up being a preview. But and at, at that point in time, I turned it into an industry feature just to let people know that this thing existed. And I sent it to him. And he read it, and he must have liked enough what he read there that he decided to take a chance on an audio file and send an audio file, a pair of, like, super clean, super linear, super underdawned, Um reference monitors for recording. Mm-hmm. Now, why do I like them so much? Well, first off, I work on the desktop like you do, mm-hmm. which means I can't listen too loud. I'm fond of saying that if I can't hear myself think, then I basically can't work. Then I might as well go to my big system and just you know close down the desktop. So I can't listen too loud. I also, have to work too hard if music starts to clump up. So when music gets dense and when it gets dynamic and it sort of starts to clump up like wet cat litter, it takes too <laughs> much attention of, you know, in, in, for my ear brain to sort of sort out what's going on. And that attention is now not there for me to do my writing business. Mm-hmm. So that's why on the desktop, where I don't listen very loud, I don't want that kind of sort of fat, warm, thick, romantic, lush sound that I might enjoy in my big system. Mm -hmm. I want a more visual kind of sound where I use my ears like eyes and I look at things. The other thing that I want on the desktop is that despite my big screen, you and I talked about this just before you hit record, we both have a 35 inch or 34 inch diagonal monitor screen where we do our mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. I measured mine is curved. It's 95 inches wide. Centimeters. My desk is 130 centimeters wide. So yeah. these super cubes fit just perfectly between the edge of where the monitor stops and how far the table goes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But that monitor screen is basically uh, a, a material and a psychological barrier. It's right there, it's like a wall. And so in my experience on the desktop, it's quite difficult to get the kind of sort of free, open, deep sound staging that you get in a free space setup with your big speakers. For some reason, these, because they're so quick and they're so linear and they're so articulate, they image like gangbusters on the desktop. Mm. They image through the monitor. And they image up and down and left and right. And they give you that really concise sort of checkerboard mapping that you know a recording engineer will appreciate who very deliberately wants to place particular sounds in particular spots. Now, what the speaker does not do and that's part of why it can do these things that I'm describing yeah. is it does not inject any fat into the lower mid-range, upper base range. And that sort of extra fat usually creates a sense of warmth mm-hmm. and density. And a lot of systems whose owners might call them musical, they do this very, very deliberately. And they may even sort of bump up the bass in a linear fashion so that it sort of starts to gently rise. Let's say it starts at like 100 or 80 hertz. And by the time it's up at 20, it's up 3 dB or maybe even slightly Mm. more. It's just done in a linear fashion. These don't do that. They don't add any extra weight in the bass. They don't add any extra sort of density or warmth to the lower mid-range, which means they don't cause this wet cat litter clumping that i talked about before that even when things get loud and that get sort of complicated and dense things stay completely separate
1: so would you say that they could be described as a well relatively speaking as a bit lean
2: yes if you're coming from the kind of system that has this sort of extra warmth and density particularly in the lower mid-range and uh, and upper base mm. then yes you would consider this lean if you're coming from where I'm coming from, where those raw ribbons are sort of a reference, and you're coming from the fact that I'm sitting on the desktop and I don't want the music to sort of be too um, too material, I want mm-hmm. it to be a little bit more. Uh, can I use the word mental? Or, well, we spoke um, about this last time, and we? we
1: talked about cerebral listening and emotional listening, and correct. I think we were talking we were talking about how at- when we're both at our respective desktops, we listens more cerebrally than we do maybe from our gut or from our heart or you know elsewhere in the body and you've talked about visual listening which i think is another great way of describing it so the context here from um, i guess what i'm picking up from you the context here being the desktop is is crucial to this story because you can't just plunk these down in a normal sort of i guess in inverted commas listening room and expect them to do wonderful things i wouldn't think
2: no not at all. In fact, the designer would be the first to tell you that these are specifically made for extreme near-field listening. Mm. And the ideal distance seems to be about 80 centimeters, which Mm -hmm. that's what it turns out to be on my desktop. And I've read a thread where, you know, pro audio users are discussing their experiences with this speaker. And a lot of them end up, at about 79 to 85 sort of centimeter distance, and they, mm-hmm. they consider that ideal. So, so you're very, very correct about sort of mm-hmm. making that proviso or proviso that yes, what mm-hmm. I'm describing only works in this particular way on the desktop, really nearby, and only if you have obeyed their narrow directivity, which means that you have sorted out how to get their axis pointed directly at your ear. How do you do and that? I, how, do you, okay. how do you do that? So I I found uh, a company in the U.S. called Kanto Audio, mm-hmm. and they make a lot of desktop-specific speaker stands. Yes. And there will be a link beneath the uh, the podcast. Yeah, in the show um, notes, yeah. Um, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And this one is called the S6, which is the biggest version. And all it really is is... Uh, is a square frame with a platform that leans back exactly 16 degrees and has a tiny lip at the end so that whatever you set on it can't slip off.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's basically like a wedge. Yes. And it lifts up the speaker. Uh, so the front edge now is, let me take a quick tape measure. The front edge of the speaker is nine centimeters off my desktop. Okay. But because it leans back, and I sit eighty centimeters away, the center of this of the driver looks directly at my
1: ears. Can I come in here? Because if I if I were if I had these speakers, I would do it differently to you. I'm not saying you you've done it wrong or anything like that. But I would get some tall stands that have the big flat base, but they're designed to put uh, I guess studio monitor speakers on but I would have them independent of my desk. So I'd have a stand on the right, side on the left, but elevate, you know, the stand, the top of the stand would probably sit, uh, I guess where I'm looking right now, maybe a meter and a half off the floor. So the speakers would be up at ear level where, you know, where I'm sitting and they would fire direct to my ears from those stands rather than diagonally upwards. That's how I would do it.
2: I looked at that mm-hmm. and that is definitely another option Uh, The reason I I didn't go for it is because all of the stands that I saw had quite big bases. Some even had sort of those tripod-style legs that take up a lot of floor space. They do, yes, yes. And the way that I'm set up with my table, especially on the left side of it, I flat out don't have the amount of space required to take such a big base.
0: Mm, So my
2: alternate option would have been a stand from a company called Gravity Audio who also Mm. supply the pro audio sector. And they have a stand that will clamp to the the desktop. And then Ah, it will will telescope up and down. Uh And then it has a a top plate that not only rotates freely 360 degrees, but it will also swivel up or down. It also has a little lip. So if you swivel it up, you put the lip at the end so your speaker doesn't slip off. Mm. If you angle it down, you turn it around, the lip is in the front, So if for some reason your decor asks for the speaker to be like a meter 80 off the floor, now you just angle the
1: thing down. I didn't know about those stands.
2: Gravity audio, right? Gravity audio.
1: Okay, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. That's interesting. I had no idea about those.
2: And the reason why that could be an even better idea than what I'm using is the transfer of physical vibrations, especially in the bass, into your desk and then Mm -hmm. your hands. Now, we all know that if, especially we live upstairs and we have a speaker system set up, maybe even a big subwoofer, and we are on a suspended floor, that each time that subwoofer makes a bass beat, we can actually feel it in the soles of our feet. There's Mm -hmm. something going on. And unless we sort of do a proper job of isolating the subwoofer and even the speakers from the floor, there will be some kind of interaction going on that even travels into adjacent rooms. The same is true for the desktop. And on the desktop, you don't wear shoes to sort of isolate you from the floor, like a subwoofer might. You actually have your hands, in my case, on a sort of slide-out keyboard tray. And so the, the, the balls or the heels of my hands are in touch with the desk. And whatever vibration the speaker generates will travel through the desk into my hands. And even though if I feel any kind of sort of bass pulses, no matter how small in my hands, they will always be slightly behind what my ears hear mm-hmm. because the sound will travel through the desk and that takes just a little bit amount of time. And even though one sensory input is my ears and the other delayed input is my hands, so one is felt, one is heard, for some strange reason, it seems as though in my brain, those two data sum. And the Mm. bass doesn't sound as clean as it could so that means then i need to do more isolation and what i did and this now gets audio full ridiculous is i got (laughs) two pairs of these canto audio s6 tilted stands Mm. and i put one and i put one inside the other so basically doubled up and that increased sort of their efficiency of isolating vibrations from the speaker into the desk. And then when I was playing really loud, bass-heavy music, I still had just a little bit sort of of leakage. And then I remembered that the only product I ever reviewed that was from Ireland was a desktop stand by a now-defunct company called Ardan Audio. And -hmm. it's a quite unwieldy big thing made for recording studios, but it has everything you could want. Tilt, swivel, lock-in, you name it. And what they had done for isolation was that underneath their plinth, they had caved in two grooves and inside each groove sat a thin cloth tube filled with sand. And that sort of was the interface between their plinth and your tabletop. Mm. And I remembered I had them in the utility closet. I went upstairs, I just yanked out those tubes, which turned out to be the right size and I used some wire ties and I sort of attached them to the bottom of my doubled up stand. So now the whole thing sort of floats on this thin, less than a centimeter thick sand filled tube. And now I have absolutely zero resonance transfer. And on that subject, I was actually curious because the other day in a review, you mentioned this was as part of a speaker review and the provided stands. Oh yes, it was the book And Matt's book had included some sort of squishy little squares that he had sourced from Germany that oh, we sat yeah. on the stand. And then when you sort of you ping the speaker with the tip yep. of your finger, the whole speaker sort of started to shimmy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I was curious whether those little squares would actually be perfect for this particular application. And most likely I would put them between the speaker and, you know, where the speaker rests on this understand mm. they might do an air stop. yeah it's possible i mean
1: i haven't really played with those little squishy things they're, they're actually gel pads that drummers use on their drum kits and cymbals to damp the sound of those things um so they are designed to dampen vibrations literally they're not expensive i didn't go into that actually in my review because obviously when you do that on youtube you skirt the edge of of the word you've just used audio foolery and people get very upset sometimes. And because they're only 10 euros or $10 a set, I just thought, well, if anybody out there is interested in these, they can. it's very easy for them to try it out for themselves and make up their own minds. So I didn't need to give my input. And I haven't, I haven't really messed around with them out of the, the stand setup and then put them back in. To be honest, I find that kind of experimentation unnecessary when things are so cheap to the general public, to the viewing public. So, yeah, those things could work pretty well. I, I was just trying to think about my Genelec. I don't think they would work with those so much because the the Genelec stands are uh, that are like a molded, um, they have a molded base and they allow the tilt, tilt the speaker a little bit. And that sort of, so there's like a, a circle in the middle and the speaker mm-hmm. sort of sits in that, inside that circle, which is why I, I, I'm a big fan of taking the, the speakers off of the desk and putting putting them on their own sort of, stands with a top plate but again all of these things are not horrifically expensive and i think listeners can really experiment for themselves i'm not i don't want to be dismissive about it but just that's something you can do on your own
2: (laughs) exactly and these stands i bought them from a a pro audio sort of supply kind company called gear for music Mm -hmm. the four is actually the number four gear for music Mm -hmm. And they have outlets in different uh, countries. There's even one in Ireland. And Mm -hmm. delivered, you know, these metal stands. They're nice. They're very solidly made. And they come in white and in black. They set me back, I think, some 69 euros. Mm -hmm. So nothing nothing bad. Which is why I bought the second pair. Because if it didn't work, doubled up, to do the drop that I wanted it to do, I would have used it in in another location in the house. No Mm. sweat there.
1: Right. Can we come back... Sorry, sorry you, you want to continue? Or you? No, kind of, no. I was going to, no, I was no. going to ask you another
2: question. Go, mm. go ahead, because the, let's keep the punchline for later. Okay.
1: So I want to come back to the this sort of DSP-based amplifier that is connected using SpeakOn connectors to the back of these cube speakers, right? Because I know mm-hmm. it's a fairly simple affair and it's input-output. But you said something earlier on about how the DSP corrects frequency domain um, issues with the driver or optimizes the or flattens the driver's response now I think all of us can mentally visualize what a flat frequency response looks like or close to flat or optimized for flat but you also said it that that DSP corrects for any time domain imperfections now do you have a good way of helping us
2: visualize that well if we look at the average frequency versus Impedance plot, mm-hmm. or we look at you know we can we can see phase angles. Mm-hmm. So we see that in in the phase domain, which is time,
0: mm-hmm.
2: the speaker is far from linear. It will have bumps, and it will have troughs, and it will have sort of wiggles. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we look at, for example, a ported speaker, and let's say the speaker is ported at forty-five hertz. We will typically see a vast rise in the impedance curve. Mm -hmm. If the average impedance is 8 ohms, it could be a 50 ohm peak. Mm -hmm. And that indicates that at that frequency, the speaker rings. So a a very, very little input creates a big response, Mm
0: -hmm. which
2: is what the designer wanted, because at that frequency, he wants more output than he would get in a sealed box. Mm -hmm. But in the time domain, there's ringing. And what that means is that the speaker doesn't settle down really quick. Ah, okay. this is now this is a very important aspect to think about, that we don't just want the sound to start on time. And when we talk about sound starting on time, a good visual is like a Van Der Steen speaker, because Van mm. Steen is very heavily into sort of correct time domain behavior. Mm. So if we peel away the grill clause from a Van Der Steen speaker that has a grill clause, we see underneath the Mayan step pyramid, we mm-hmm. see a little box for the tweeter, and then we see a bigger box below for the midrange, and an even bigger box for the woofer. And they are all staggered. So the tweeter sits farther back from our ears than the midrange, which right. sits farther back than the bass.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So this is an attempt to align the drivers, actually their voice coils, vertically so that at the ideal listening distance, all of those drivers' output arrives at our ears at exactly the same time. Okay. So this is uh, a design philosophy that is really, really concerned about optimizing the arrival of sounds at our ear. Mm -hmm. Wilson Audio in their flagship speaker does a very similar thing. They have what they call the Gantry, and it allows the individual modules for the tweeter and the mid-range and the upper bass driver, I believe, to all be independently tilted and moved fore and aft relative to the listening position. And I mean, they go down to fractional inches, really, really precise adjustments that you can then lock in. So now this is about the arrival of sounds, but what about their stoppage? Mm. In a lot of car reviews, in the performance section, you will not only read how how fast the car can accelerate, but they will actually give you the amount, the distance that it will take to come to a full stop, let's say from driving 60 miles an hour or hundred miles an hour.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: How many meters will it take if you just slam the brakes before the car is at a full stop? Now in audio, we want the same thing. We don't want notes to sort of linger longer than they've been recorded. Mm -hmm. Because if they linger longer, they start to sort of overlay The new sounds that started later, and the more sounds happen at any given time, that start to now overlay, and they overlay longer than they ought to on the recording because they don't stop in time. We get sort of a swimmy kind of a feeling. And the Mm -hmm. best simile that I can give that people can relate to easily is going to a church, and see what happens to your voice. There is an echo, and it could be a very long echo. I mean multiple seconds, Mm. which is why typically in a church, if you do have a concert, it doesn't tend to be music that moves really fast. It's a lot of choral music. Mm -hmm. But if, for example, you took a flamenco guitar player who played these really rapid arpeggios, they would all start to overhang. They wouldn't be sort of crisp, like sort of uh, pearls on on a string. They would all be like watercolors running one into the other. Mm. So that's time domain behavior. And sort of if we have really big, heavy woofers and we have insufficient current behind them to damp, the bass will start, but then it will take a while to stop. It just sort of lingers. Mm. And that creates the impression of slow bass. Mm-hmm. It just does, okay. it doesn't hit the brakes fast enough. And you can tell the difference if you compare the bass of a premium headphone to the base of an average ported loudspeaker set up poorly in a poor room. Mm-hmm. The bass from the ported speaker will be a little bit more like a boom truck driving by, whereas mm-hmm. the base in from the headphone will be more like a sewing machine. You know, it is just a tick, 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 tick. You just sort of hear the needle go in and out, and there's no blurring. There's no after effect.
0: Mm. So how and does that relate to
1: the... So, how does that relate to the DSP inside the...
2: the... I, okay, now we're getting so technical that actually it goes beyond my techno-peasant brain to understand. Mine All too. I this, um... that, that, that this designer has written uh, a software code to address the time domain behavior of this driver in this particular box to improve the start and stop of its particular bandwidth. Now that's a claim that I can't verify sure. because I wouldn't even know how to measure it, not that I measure anything at all. The only reason that I believe it's true or true where, than a lot of competing designs, is that when I reference it against my headphones, mm. the sound comes really close. It has the same sort of unadorned, unadulterated evenness
0: mm.
2: throughout the audible bandwidth that my RAL ribbons have. What it doesn't have, it doesn't have quite the same extension and refinement in the treble. But again, the RALs, the ribbons, within centimeters of the ear, there's really nothing that I think can beat them on that particular discipline. They don't have quite the same dynamics. Mm -hmm. And in the bass, they're not quite as fast because we're still talking about a driver in a sealed box where half the energy that the driver generates goes into the room at my ears, and the other half gets stuck inside the box. Now, what do we think it does inside the box? It bounces around like crazy, Mm -hmm. and some of the sound will try to get back out through the diaphragm and through the rubber surround, unless the box was so absorptive on the inside that whatever sound goes in doesn't come out. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, that is a tall order for any speaker much less a small speaker like that, where the louder you play it, the more much louder it gets inside the box. Inside the box is always the loudest part in the room. The Ryal Ribbons don't have any enclosure where sound sort of pressurizes and then looks to escape somehow. So that's why even in the in, in the bass, as good as these are, they are still not exactly as good as the Ryal Ribbons. But they are better than they are better than other non-ported sealed active desktop speakers that I have that cost significantly more. Mm. So in that discipline, they still come out first, just not as good as the raw ribbons. But then, as you get into the lower mid range, the central mid range, there's no enhancement and there's also no overlay from bass that is too thick, too too punchy, too languorous, sort of bass that sort of is ponderous that just sort of Mm -hmm. keeps ringing on. There's none of that because bass isn't just sort of its own entity. It's connected to the mid-range seamlessly. And whatever Mm -hmm. happens in the bass, whatever mud the bass steers up, it floats up into the mid-range. So you clean up the bass, you clean up the mid-range. So this speaker, by not doing more than it can, and by the designer deliberately not trying to make it do more in DSP, it doesn't have the warmth, it doesn't have the density that some audio files may want, but because Mm. it doesn't have those, those now don't interfere with that sort of more mental observant looking at sound type quality that is important to me. See, I guess my
1: desktop work regime Goes into another realm beyond yours because I have to, well, I have to edit this podcast tomorrow and I have to edit video. So for me, being able to sort of see into the sound is really important because I want to be able to hear where the mistakes are. I mean, if I kind of cough, I need to be able to hear that, even if it's quiet, so I can cut it out. And in video, sometimes I knock the microphone that's mounted to my chest, the lav mic. I need to be able to kind of address those issues as well. And so the, the The more visual the representation of the sound on my desktop, the better I can do my job, just as you said that these speakers are designed for sort of control rooms for pro audio engineers. but I do have one more question about this I'm sorry is that if I mean I would agree with you that I think headphones are better analytical tools than speakers in a room, so. Why don't more mastering recording any kind of engineers use headphones in studio, in professional studios? I know some do, but they're, they're not the dominant playback device. Is it because it's a team effort and everybody, maybe there's three people sat behind the desk and they're all discussing the sound? I, I, I don't
2: really know. Uh, I don't know either, but my assumption is... That because most music is consumed over loudspeakers, be it in the car or be it at home or be it even built into a TV or a sound bar beneath the TV, mm. if that's the way that people listen to it, that's how the people that are controlling the mastering want to look at it. They want to look mm. at it under the same circumstances that the end user will listen to it. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. I do think yeah. that that a lot of the serious sound engineers use headphones as a second as a secondary backup as a confirmation tool
1: yes i know I've, I've read about quite a few um people that work that way
2: because let's face it the the sound staging that happens with a headphone is limited to however wide your head is right mm. it's limited to the space between your ears and maybe a little bit beyond but you know at best we're probably talking about a half meter that's that's the entirety of, of a headphone soundstage. And usually in my case, the way I perceive it, it's more like an airline pillow in that it sort of wraps around behind the head. It's mm-hmm. not in front of me. It's more sort of behind me, like an occipital pillow. Mm. Now, in my, in my big room, the speakers are nearly three meters away, you know, center to center and, If the recording demands it, there's actually sounds outside of the speakers. So the soundstage might be five meters wide and it seems to go through the back of the room into my wife's studio. So it is much larger. So if I was Mm -hmm. a mastering engineer and I wanted to know how the imaging that I'm actually hard coding to my mix, you know, exactly mm. where the drummer is in relationship to the bass player and all of that. If I really want to get a sense for how well I did, I think then I need to also hear it in a setup such as mine where the speakers mm. are far apart and I want to make sure that the center doesn't collapse and that everything is sort of where it's supposed to be.
1: So would you say that the supercubes draw a wider soundstage than your RAL requisite headphones?
2: Absolutely. By hmm. virtue of sitting, let's measure this, by virtue of sitting... I love that 90, you have
1: a tight measure there. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs>
2: 90, 96 centimeters uh, center to center apart. So that's nearly twice as wide uh, as, maybe even more than twice as wide, as my head, my head is thick and swollen. And as the raw requisites s- sound stage beyond my ears because, you know, they splay out. So it's mm-hmm. easily twice as wide and it's, it's way deeper. And it's also of course, way taller. So even though the, the, the bottom of the speaker is only about nine centimeters off my desktop, the, the apparent soundstage height fills out my 34 inch diagonal monitor screen as though it was a television. The sound sort of populates that entire screen, even though the depth is behind the screen. Okay. There's a lot of depth information on good recordings that goes right through the screen, which I find difficult to do uh, with most competing desktop speakers to get that kind of sort of really free, precisely mapped, very specific imaging. Mm. Okay. Which is what I find so brilliant on the desktop, because without having to pay a lot of attention to sorting things out, because they sort of clump up, as a, this dense wall of sound, this is the opposite. There's tons of space around everything. And especially the depth domain is very sharply defined. You can mm. hear that, you know, one guy is actually behind another guy and there's another guy in front of that guy, but slightly over to the left. All of that is sort of very, very specific. Okay. Now okay. there's one thing that you haven't asked me yet, which for a lot of buyers is the most important question. <laughs> what question should cap- i let's go capitalist
1: okay well, yeah i haven't asked you that because i thought that was going to be part of your punchline and i didn't want to ruin it i see but okay okay so Jean, how much do these speakers cost well speakers and amp
2: cost 690 euros plus shipping from Slovakia. that's for okay. the pair with the amplifiers with hmm. three meter loudspeaker cable included Everything, and it's Mm -hmm. packed the bomb. I mean, this is packed so well that unless FedEx dropped these from 10 meters, you're guaranteed to get these in perfect shape. Okay. The speakers that I compared these Mm two on my desktop were 2,500 euros and 4,000 euros.
1: And what are they?
2: Those are the Fram Audio, the yes. smaller ones are called the MIDI mm-hmm. one or the yeah, the MIDI 120 and the larger ones are called the MIDI 150. And I'm... both of those have coaxial digital inputs. So there's no quote unquote unnecessary AD conversion going on. If you go mm-hmm. in digital, it encounters the built-in DSP, and then it turns analog. So on paper, you would think that they are more, that they're purer, that they Mm. suffer sort of less editorializing from this conversion. In practice, the things that Andrew at DMAX Audio has hard coded to his DSP is so effective that you'll forget in a second that you, you know, that you're dealing with this AD converter inside. And the other thing I should also say, also point out is that because We've touched upon the fact that the loudest part of the room is inside the speaker. That is the last place that you want your electronics to be. Yet virtually all active loudspeakers put their electronics right inside the speaker. Mm -hmm. So for 690 euros, here you get a separate amplifier. Which is like, I think, a real high-end feature. And should anything ever go wrong with this amplifier, it'll ship you a new one. You don't have to ship the speakers back. And another thing is that this amplifier, and now I'm gonna sound like I'm overpraising it, it has an off switch. Why is it important? <laughs> because the From audio speakers also have a Class D amplifier inside. Mm. But outside they have a laptop style power brick, Class D right? Mm-hmm. And that feeds the, the active speaker via a little 2.5 mil, you know, little socket. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end of that laptop-style switching power supply, it's a power cord that plugs into the wall or it plugs into your power conditioner or power bar. Mm-hmm. But that can't turn off. It doesn't have an off switch.
0: Mm-hmm. So unless
2: you live in the UK, where the wall outlets all have an on-off switch, that class D power converter will be on 24-7 and I've already killed a few because of that because I couldn't turn them off and I didn't go every night to the back of my desk and yank out the power cord Mm. so I killed you know these quote-unquote medical grade class d laptop style switches. was this I just and yes the amplifier is too big to put on my desktop So I have it sitting underneath it and I do have to bend down every day to turn it on and off. But, you know, I I prefer that because I know that these electronics are only on when I want them to be. And otherwise they're off and they're not aging.
1: What do you do about volume control?
2: Well, since we have analog inputs on XLR only, Mm -hmm. what you need in front of it is a source Mm -hmm. of some sort. In my case, I come out of my computer via USB. Mm-hmm. USB goes, in my case, into a separate USB bridge, but it could go directly into my DAC, since my yep. DAC has a USB input, mm-hmm. and the DAC happens to be an iFile. That's the, uh, the Pro-IDSD signature, mm-hmm. and that has a volume control, and it has RCA and XLR outputs. The XLR outputs go into Andrew's amplifier, Mm-hmm. And Bob's your uncle. Got remote, you know. You got remote control, which, of course, on the desktop I don't need. On you know, volume, on the uh, on the iFi, and that's all
1: you need. So you run Andrew's amplifier at full tilt. You turn the volume all the way up.
2: No, it doesn't have a volume control.
1: Oh, I see. So there's no volume control on the amplifier itself. So you have to do outboard volume control yourself.
2: Yes. Remember when I described what the amplifier looks like on the front? All it's got. It's a power rocker and an mm. LED. That's it. Gotcha. Okay. So in that sense, in that sense, it's not a fully, it's not like sort of a full package active speaker, like for example, your Kevs are.
0: Mm.
2: Or even like my FRAM audios are, because they do have a volume control and they have multiple inputs. And the inputs can be switched. Mm. This is uh, uh, an, an active speaker in three boxes that doesn't have a volume control.
1: Which is exactly like my Genelex I can't say that word very easy. Genelex Because they are active speakers, but I need to do the volume attenuation on whatever I feed them with, which is usually a, a MyTech DAC, or right now it's a shit headphone amp, actually. But, um, yeah. So that's not uncommon to you know, buy active speakers and there be no volume control anywhere near the speakers.
2: Well, maybe it's actually the norm in pro audio. And let's remember, that's is. where these yeah. speakers are from. And let's mm. remember that the designer originally did not want to send them to me. Right. And he was actually shocked uh, when, when I liked them this much and actually gave him an award on six moons. Mm. And uh, when he read the review, he sent me um, a, a short email. Mm. And uh, I'm going to read it to you. He said, because this part is interesting. He said, thank you so much for your review. I've always positioned the cubes for purely professional use, and they are purchased a lot for professional work outside studios in acoustically untreated rooms. Mm. A few people purchased them for home listening to music, mostly classical. Perhaps I was wrong about audio files? If so, could you advise me who else should I send them to for a review? Mm. I don't know the audiophile community at all." So in Andrew's mind, audiophiles that listen to music for enjoyment, rather than mastering engineers who listen to music as, as, as like a tool, mm-hmm. like something they need to fix, like a surgeon that needs it's to be very w- yeah. really precise about where they cut and slice and nip and tug, mm-hmm. he assumed that our thought would not cotton to these speakers because they don't do the things that he assumed we want. Or in other words, he assumed that Jack Nicholson quote, you can't handle the truth. He assumed that describes audiophiles. We can't really handle the truth. And because of that, half of our music will be unlistenable and we're going to blame the speaker. So why should he even bother sending them to me? And I have a feeling that the... uh, the average audiophile that does not work on the desk, mm. but sets these speakers up on an equivalent sort of low boy, let's say in a bedroom as a mm. microsystem. And he is attracted to these because of how they look and how small they are, and that they're meant to be listened to very close, which might be perfect if you put these at the foot of a bed, you know, and you prop up the pillow and you sit in bed, and that's where you do your listening. Mm-hmm. If that's your primary system and you're not a visual listener, you're more like sort of a a gut, belly, heart type listener, you will probably Mm -hmm. not like them. You will probably find them too linear, slash, lean, Mm -hmm. slash, just the facts, ma'am. But for me, again, on the desktop, where I basically want an outside headphone kind of sound, they're perfect. And for what they do and how they do it and how well they are built, they're built very, very well. Mm -hmm. The the walls of this oak are 18 mil thick. This is a quite a heavy speaker for its size and it's beautifully made. Mm. And at 690, I haven't heard anything that I would rather have. Which is why, you know, for our first podcast review, I was excited to sort of profile these to to your listeners because uh, I think that there will be a lot that could be attracted to these for the desktop, for this particular kind of application that we are talking about.
1: Yeah, especially if you're a cerebral visual type listener.
2: Yeah, these are like really, really visual. And uh, what you and I touched upon in our last podcast, I believe, otherwise Mm. it was a separate phone conversation, was that for the kind of music that you like to listen to, which uh, you know includes a lot of electronica with sort of synth-generated bass, that 50 hertz, in many cases, is actually perfectly sufficient. That people have this erroneous notion that 50 hertz isn't enough, that if this is the kind of music <laughs> you want to listen to, it'll sound emasculated and half the good stuff is gone. It's not
1: true at all. So hang on, because I, I wanted to chip in earlier on about this, because when you said, You're talking about headphones that were goosed in the bass, effectively, right? Mm -hmm. So we describe them as fun or smile curve or whatever. Now, one of the things that irritates me a little bit, uh, you didn't do it, but some people tend to make the assumption that because they're goosed in the bass, they're going to be really good for people who like bassy music. Now, I actually find very often the opposite to be true. Because if my recording has a lot of bass in it, let's say it's like full-on techno or it's dubstep, or it's just really beefy hip-hop, for example. I don't want a headphone that's goosed in the bass because it's it'll be too much. Exactly. I want actually something a little bit leaner so that it feels like the recording's more balanced. Where I do want a, a kind of more goosed bass is if I'm listening to sort of like post-punk or new wave or just those sort of late 70s or even modern punk recordings that are just a bit thin edgy reedy and i want a little bit of fleshing out on the bottom just to take the edge off to make them feel like they're fuller so i i I, yeah i guess what i'm trying to do here is dispel the notion that because we have bass heavy headphones they are good for people who like bass heavy music no (laughs) sorry (laughs) not at all yeah
2: and that's also why for example i i sometimes like to listen to quasi-symphonic music that is sort of uh, reminiscent of what's going on in a lot of heroic soundtracks. You know, where you might have some tribal voices, you have really, really big drums, you have some synthesized really, really low bass mm-hmm. for this feeling of vast space, but then you might have symphonic strings, or you might even have, you know, trumpets like on a Hans Zimmer uh, yes. in a movie soundtrack. It's, it's big, and it's sort of... There's lots of different colors and there's lots of different instruments sort of vying for your attention. Mm. Usually I can't listen to any of that stuff on the desktop because it gets too congealed, it gets too busy, it absorbs too much of my brain's available energy to sort of sort out and make sense of that I don't find it enjoyable. I would have to literally turn the computer and the screen off and say, now I'm just gonna listen to the loudspeakers. Mm. But if I do that, I might as well go to the big system just across the hallway.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Now with these speakers, the, 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 the way that their voice, or rather not voice, that they don't have this emphasis on the low end, and they don't have this emphasis on sort of this fattened up mid band, mm. I can listen to really heroic music that gets sort of really bombastic and, and sort of big and epic, and it's super enjoyable. So I find myself listening to more complex music more demanding music on the desktop now than i ever did before i did not see that coming
1: Mm, that is an interesting finding but i guess the other question is that people want to know is can is it possible to integrate a subwoofer with these
2: yes it would be possible and andrew actually mentioned that Mm. Uh, the subwoofer would then have to be fed from your variable source, in my yep. case, the DAC was volume control. Yeah, and so the XLR outputs would feed Andrew's amp, and then the uh, the RCA outputs would feed the subwoofer.
1: Right. So basically, you you need, uh, let's call it a preamp. Whether it's digital or analog, it doesn't really matter. But the preamp would need to have two outputs that could be run um, at the same time concurrently. Mm-hmm. So XLRs into the into the uh, Andrew's amp, and then the RCAs into the sub. But, you, but what about your, your fancy preamps, Jean, that has the, the filtering in there? That doesn't have the right outputs, does it?
2: Uh, it uh, does not have XLR outputs on the, uh, on the high pass. It's purely RCA in, RCA out. So I would have to use an adapter, which is right. allowable. I asked Andrew about that. Mm. So even though his amplifier, being a pro audio device, only has XLR inputs, you can get an XLR to RCA adapter, no problem.
1: Yeah, I've got a couple of those. Um, so, if you if you could turn it into a two point one system, do you? I mean, I know I don't know whether you've tried this or not. Maybe not, but do I, have, you think- I have
2: not because I have okay. used these exclusively on the desktop, mm-hmm. and because the subwoofers that I have would be somewhat overkill for this application. So, I have not yes. tried it.
1: I understand, yeah, for sure. But
2: I can see where you're going. And just by virtue of bolting on the bottom octave Mm. and maybe even setting it up in such a way that it is slightly emphasized, I'm talking slightly, Mm. to give us that slight sort of up tilt at 20 hertz, you could make these sound uh, warmer than they are now. Right. And some people might prefer that. They might find that that sort of just tips them over the edge for them. Where mm-hmm. right now they might be on the other side of that edge. It's like everything is peachy, if just they had just a little bit more of that sort of fleshiness. The other thing would be that if uh, you're running your music off a computer, which means it starts out in the digital format, then mm-hmm. you have uh, some kind of EQ plugin in whatever software player you're using. Like mm-hmm, for sure, I yeah. use you know I use uh, J River for my locally stored music. I don't do uh, uh, I don't do very much streaming at all, Mm. but I know I could plug in a a plugin, and I could sort of pre queue the signal before it ever even gets to my DAC. But that, in a way, with these speakers, would for me defeat the purpose. Exactly that.
1: Yes, yes. you know they are sort of so
2: perfectly (laughs) right uh, dialed in as these control monitors now this word control i think is really key and it made me understand why andrew made them and and mm-hmm. how they're being used by recording a professionals the other thing that for home audio users i think is really really beneficial is that these things come on song very very low on the volume totem pole ah now that like is if, interesting if, if right. zero equals mute And, you know, one click up is sort of just barely visible. Mm. These things latch onto that. So I can Ah. play these even more quietly than the speakers that they replaced because they have this extra insight, this extra lucidity. Mm. They don't need to be played loud to sort of open up Mm -hmm. and take away all the clouds. And now the sun comes through and there's no shadows and I can see everything. And to me, that's an extra benefit because... Again, I can hear myself think. How loud is the thought? I don't know, but not very loud. Mm. I can hear myself think and listen to music at the same time, and there's no conflict. So I can listen to these for hours and actually get work done. And to me, that's a real benefit. That's a real unusual situation. Because usually what I do on the desktop, I'll do some writing. I'll take a break. I go to, let's say, YouTube, or I go to uh, Cobas, where I have the this, this superior or whatever they call it, the supreme... Mm -hmm. tier where i can listen to high resolution music and i look for new music to buy Mm. and i might spend half an hour listening and then the volume control goes back to zero and i go back into writing mode now i can do the two things concurrently and to me that is really great fun
1: that is because i find that i (coughs) excuse me i cannot write if there's music playing i need i need silence which is a little bit frustrating, actually. And I, 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 the thing is, I didn't used to be this way. I used to be able to listen to electronic music and write. But now I'm so involved in what I'm writing, like maybe because I find it harder these days. Um, I, I can't be distracted by anything. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. it goes to pieces. But you, I mean, you write pretty much exclusively, right? I mean, you're writing, I mean, you're a machine when it comes to word generation, Su- Sujan. So I guess whatever it is you are doing really works for you.
2: Yeah. And now I have sort of this ability to either listen seriously to music while I'm writing, or mm. just use music at extremely low levels, just to sort of for like ambiance. Like you would at, uh, you know, at one of those fancier um, coffee slash club places, they have out, outdoor seating. Mm-hmm. People sit there and they drink a cappuccino or coffee, and there's some music that's actually playing inside the building. You hear mm-hmm. just a little bit outside, and you can have a conversation with somebody else and the music doesn't overpower, but it sort of adds a little bit of a sort of an ambiance, a feel. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, yeah, can, yeah. I can generate this now with these while I'm writing. I think you've convinced or me. I, oh, can, I need to. I can that. turn the volume up a little bit more, and I can deliberately select sort of more challenging music that actually warrants more of my attention, and it's still not enough attention sort of diluted away from writing.
0: Brilliant.
2: Mm. That is. I and, mean, that is and I oh. like the way these look too. Hmm. So I, I think so it's important I think it's 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 a real find. And the only reason I found out about it is because hmm. one of my readers who has a home recording studio emailed in and said that he had just found out about him hmm. and that he thought it was really interesting. And had I heard anything off him? I said, No, I haven't. Five minutes later I had sent Andrew an email, and as I said, it took him a while to respond and he was not very accommodating i thought but then later on i realized that i i think i put him in a in a tough spot he didn't really know how to respond he didn't want to outright <laughs> say no mm-hmm. he didn't want to be rude but he also sort of didn't want to give away the keys to his kingdom and then have somebody fall in the door and says you know this this is really bad
1: mm. no i understand you know, what do, yeah. I do i do now yeah yeah i mean from everything you said and i have actually written, uh, read your review over in six moons from all of it, it makes me want to go and buy a pair for my desktop because, yeah, they're not crazy, crazy expensive. And I think they would work for me very nicely.
2: And if ever you felt the need for just a little bit more, you know, just go next door and uh, grab that uh, Kev subwoofer and just sort of slip it in there.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely doable. Yeah. because actually, and In fact,
2: with the Kev, uh, you have even the low high pass option. Yes. If you want to get really tricky.
1: I have actually done that. In the last couple of weeks, I did try the, uh, the internal high-pass filter on the KEF. It does take it just a smidge away in terms of resolution, but what you gain elsewhere, I think, is probably more important.
2: And that, I think, is an important point to reiterate, that mm. it's very often it's a give and take. And you know people are not willing to even entertain a situation that doesn't look like it's all win and no loss. And well, right by there, that, they they, yeah. they sort of overlook that sometimes the loss is so little and is so far outweighed by the gain that that's really the only way to go forward. But they they won't even consider those scenarios because in their mind, unnecessary ad conversion is a no-no. Or in you know something that you can relate to would be converting uh, vinyl to digital for for whatever reason to acquire mm. it to be able to include it in a in a in a playlist to share it with friends via USB stick. Uh, you know, to some people that might be anathema. And other people that have actually tried it out on good modern AD converters realize that they have hardly any fingerprint at all. Or whatever they do is sort of completely offset by the things that you gain.
1: Yeah, yeah. I
2: actually
1: made an entire video about this a couple of years ago, because I think it was in the wake of my coverage of the Booker Actives, and people were like, well, Hang on a minute, John. They digitize the incoming signal. There's no way I'm running my turntable through that. And I was like, no, hang on a minute, though, because even if it does take a little, uh, take something away, but I think even the shittiest A to D would, what it would take away would be dwarfed by what you gain in DSP correction, whether that's speaker optimization or room correction.
2: And I mean, one thing with loudspeakers also is, of course, dispersion and dispersion right. over over frequency. And I don't know whether DSP can address any of that whatsoever. I mean, you if, mean a, speaker, th- if yeah. a speaker starts to beam in the treble, how would DSP correct for that? In fact, if DSP could correct for that, Andrew would have done it. Because then this speaker would not have such a narrow window of, of application. Mm-hmm. You know, it's supposed to be in the near field. It's a, and it must be aligned perfectly with your ears. Otherwise, the intended frequency of response, you know, is not there. You'll mm-hmm. lose too much on the treble because the treble is now off-axis and you're, it's too rolled off. Mm. So I'm pretty sure that that cannot be corrected by DSP. Andrew seems to be unusually clever when mm. it comes to what can be done in DSP. I looked at this website under... Uh, leg- on the legacy page, products that he no longer makes. Mm-hmm. And there is a slew of um, DSP software packages that are, you know, made for recording engineers to mm-hmm. from DSs to things that I don't even know what, what they are, what they mm-hmm. do. But they are things that recording engineers apply before a recording is deemed done. Mm-hmm. And so he knew how to do all of that and he has worked and owned a recording studio. And he considers this particular model, the Supercube SC5, his most accurate model. Mm. He also has other ones that get bigger and they use more drivers. Mm. They use a tweeter and a separate midwoofer. They use either two midwoofers or four of them. And he says, yes, they will play louder. And yes, they will go lower in the bass, but, they are not quite as precise as these. And these have only one driver and no crossover. Whatever quote-unquote crossoverish things he needs to do, he does in DSP.
1: Mm. I mean, is, is the word that we're sort of skirting around here, is it? Well, maybe you said it earlier on, actually. You said the word purity, which I, I think is a word that gets, often gets ascribed to single-driver loudspeakers.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's hard to, to describe if one hasn't heard it before. But if one compares uh, a good single driver speaker that has sort of been exercised of of the usual weaknesses, Mm. which would be like really gross frequency domain aberration, uh, 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 really pronounced forwardness somewhere between one and six kilohertz, where they usually get really, really peaky, Mm. And if they can do bass, it's usually sort of cheated bass done with a box that has some kind of a line in it, whether it's a quarter-wave line or a transmission line or you know a folded rear horn. It doesn't really matter, but it's mm. some kind of a resonance system that a little bit like a port. It sort of bolts on more bass than the driver by itself wants to do. Those mm-hmm. are all weaknesses, but if they have been addressed properly the difference between a single driver speaker and a three or four-way speaker is, um, I think some of it has to do with how our ear brain works constantly. It's like constantly interpolating. Mm -hmm. And when it needs to do less of that, uh, there's there's more ease. That, that, right. that the experience itself becomes more easeful. There's less computational sort of power being absorbed. Our brain runs less hot. Let's put it that way. Mm. And and that has a direct impact on the quality of the listening experience. Yeah,
1: I mean, I guess it's a bit like trying to talk to somebody inside a busy swimming pool. You know, across, let's say you, you, you know, we're sat on opposite sides of the swimming pool and there's loads of other people swimming around us. That conversation would be very hard for us to have because we'd understand each other, but our brains would be working furiously to understand what each other was saying. And that would be a stressful experience. That conversation would not be enjoyable,
2: right? No, because we would have to sort of tune out all the extraneous noise. Yes. And there is some kind of sort of tuning out required when you're listening to a hi-fi and the hi-fi has um, reminders of artifice that keep mm. telling your ear brain, this is not natural, this is not mm. real. But we are here trying to believe it's real. So what do we have to do? We have to basically overlook this and we have to sort of fix that mm. and we do it. And, and, and we do it on a subconscious level that we are not even aware of. And curiously enough, if you're sensitive to your own state, how comfortable you feel in your, in your body mind, you know, how well you feel, Mm. If you really pay attention to that, you will notice that certain systems have you more at ease. And Mm. it's not necessarily that they sound quote-unquote better in all the usual sort of audiophile lingo words. Mm. But something about them still makes you feel better and you prefer listening to them. Now, some people may not be sensitive to that and they then will not maybe get the allure of a single-driver speaker. They will Mm. hear the things that it might not do as well as a speaker that has like a Royal Ribbon tweeter that goes out to sixty kilohertz, and then has a fifteen inch woofer that goes down to twenty, you know, and it has a mid range driver with a lot of stroke that can play really dynamic. They hear all of those things that it can't do, and they don't hear the thing that it does really well, because that's not where they pay any attention. They don't pay mm. any attention to the listener and the experience. And that's where I find headphone listening extremely comfortable. There seems to be sort of very little interpolation that my brain has to do on the sound and its believability. And yes, the sound settings in the head is not as big. And yes, the bass is not as physical. I don't feel it on my skin. Yes, there's lots of things that are different from speaker Mm. listening. And I don't find them better or worse. They're just different. Mm. But when it comes to how long do I actually listen before some kind of fatigue sets in where I need a break, or Mm. I'm just done. I feel that headphones allow me to listen for longer than a lot of speaker systems. And that when it comes to speaker systems, that the single driver speakers or multi-way speakers that somehow come really, really close to single driver speakers, that those are my preference. Mm. But it's a subtle thing. And and time alignment and time coherence also is subtle. And a lot of people don't hear it. And a lot of designers don't believe it's, it's, it's important, which is why you have a lot of multi-way speakers with crossovers that have a lot of phase shift and mm. they have, you know, vertical baffles where the drivers are not time aligned. And that's the majority of speakers that you can buy. And their audience hears nothing wrong with them and their designers think nothing wrong with them. But curiously enough, the moment loudspeakers become active and have some kind of DSP involved, one mm. of the very first things that designers will correct is the time domain. First, it wasn't important. But suddenly now that they have a very easy trick to fix it, mm. they fix it and they can hear the difference, which is why Wilson, even though they don't use first order crossovers like Vanderstein still does and mm. Thiel was famous for using, they still believe in, in making the time alignment of their different drivers adjustable to the listener. Mm-hmm. And they're very finicky just about how precisely those alignments can be made mm. for their top speakers. It makes a difference. And so this single driver speaker that I'm looking at right now, this thing, small, silvery, five-inch driver in this oak cube, mm. it doesn't have the, the usual multi-way speaker issues, which is why it can be cheap, relatively speaking. and and be this good. But set up in my big listening room, it wouldn't work. Mm. It wouldn't play loud enough. It would probably start to distort. It wouldn't have enough bass. It would start it would sound really, really lightweight. That's not what it's made for. Mm-hmm. So it's what I call a special ops speaker. <laughs> you know, like a, like a green beret. <laughs> <laughs> It does one thing, and it does that one thing really well, but right. you don't go in, in jungle fatigue you know, to a black-tie affair. You just don't do it.
1: Because I'm also thinking this, this speaker would work very well in, in, in many of the apartments that I've been in in Japan that are tiny. The living rooms are tiny. But the, the speakers like these would, I think, from what you've said,
2: would work beautifully in those environments. And they would work beautifully next to a television screen where you sit reasonably close. Mm. You know, I mean, obviously, if you do like really, you know, big blockbusters with massive explosions, you mm-hmm. may want more. Mm-hmm. But if you do predominantly news and you do sort of character-driven, uh, uh, you know, Drama. movies or, yeah, of, yeah. or films with a lot of dialogue yeah. and with a lot of sort of location din, where you hear grass, you know, in the wind, and you hear branches snapping, and you hear birds crying, and you hear water on the seashore and car doors slamming. Meanwhile, there's music in the background. Meanwhile, there's three or four people having a conversation. Mm-hmm. These speakers are so detailed and visually uh, informative in the midband mm. that they would make excellent, you know, television speakers for that kind of application where you sit quite close because the room is really small, um, and they would be a major upgrade to most speakers built into, loud, uh, into televisions.
1: Well, yeah, I mean the speakers built into TVs. Are- airable.
2: yeah. Or you might even set. Uh, I mean, if if I wanted my monitor screen right now to be a little taller, mm. I would set. I would set it on top of the, the amplifier, and I would have the amplifier on top of the uh, the shelf on my desk, mm-hmm. and the monitor on top of that. The monitor could be a television. I would do the same thing if it was a television.
1: Okay, so you've got your tape measure there. Could you tell yeah. us how how wide and uh, deep, the top plate of the amplifier is. Please, for Jan.
2: Okay, <clears throat> I'm going to have to kneel now. <laughs>
1: Sorry, <laughs> in front of my hi-fi,
2: like I'm praying to it. Okay, so we all do that. The the the, the front baffle, you know, that it has those rack mount ears. So is exactly 50 centimeters across.
1: The 50 centimeters across. Okay.
2: Yeah. The actual case behind it is 43 centimeters. Okay. Then the depth of the case. Uh huh. During the front battle is 19 centimeters.
1: So forty. is that and 43 by high, 19? Mm. Mm-hmm,
2: 43 by 19 and the yep. total height of the thing is uh, just shy of 9 centimeters.
1: Okay, so 43 by 19 by 9. Mm-hmm. Sorry to the American listeners who
2: Refused to adopt the metric system. <laughs> um, yeah, my my last tape measure that did uh, the col- the colonic measurements is is long gone. So I they have <laughs> to go to a measurement converter online.
1: Yes, they will. But yeah, okay. So that gives us an idea of what you know what kind of TV or monitor would fit on top of that amplifier. And yeah, okay. So I th- is our work done, Trujan? I mean, have we covered everything we want to talk about with these loudspeakers and more and
2: DSP? Uh, I think so, unless you, as a buyer by proxy, still have any other question that, you know, we haven't touched upon.
1: I mean, I have no more questions. So thank you very much for your time this afternoon.
2: Thank you for doing this. I look forward to doing the next one.
1: You have been listening to me, John Darko, and Six Moons' Srajan Ibayan. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston and music came from Ben Pitt.